0: So you are listening to the Charles Bonnet Syndrome podcast. This is episode five. I am Shimon Foy, and I have my co-host, Eva Potts. And today we have a special guest. His name is Jonathan Ward. Jonathan Ward is the the Development Manager of Employment at Thomas Pocklington Trust in London. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So, So can you tell me a little bit about what you do uh, in your current job. Okay, so I
1: guess I guess probably a, pot, a potted history. I have worked with blind and partially sighted people for uh, nearly 40 years. And the, the main thrust of all my jobs has, has always been to sort of teach and develop independence for blind and partially sighted people. And that's people of all ages. So I've, I've worked with um, pretty much newborns all the way through to sort of people of a hundred plus years my current role is um, focused on employment and my brief is to find ways of assisting people who are furthest away from work
0: okay and and i must say that i actually met jonathan because i have a loved one of mine that has charles Monet syndrome and i reached out to judith potts and from esme's umbrella and and i said that my my family member wanted to find some more support so they were going to Gary Dr Gary q weekly uh group that they have here uh for charles charles Bonnet syndrome here in the states in the in the us so then she told me to reach out to Jonathan because he he hosts a biweekly group for people that have charles Bonet to offer support so that's how i met him and uh he does a great job with this group and and, uh, you know, I was very grateful to find him. So can you talk a little bit about um, Charles Bonnet and when you first were introduced or uh, found out about Charles Bonnet?
1: Okay, so probably I think the first person I ever... well Yeah, pro- probably my first introduction on reflection was probably that I think that I had Charles Bonnet as as a child myself. Um, so I can remember probably probably somewhere around the age of four seeing hideous um, hideous gargles and strange faces. And I'm guessing that probably coincided when probably I had some first visual disruptions in my central vision field. So I'm, I'm just guessing that that's probably it. So I can remember seeing horrible faces and things on the wall when I went to bed and strange shapes and things. Um, yeah, and so that's probably my first personal, um, personal sort of um, interaction. But as professionally... I I remember going to see a lady, my first lady, um, independently. She just lost her vision. Like many people, she had a, a, mac, a macular condition, so no, no central vision. It was all new there all, way before the days of injections and treatment. And she was um, seeing what she described as fat ladies. So it was all very strange. I went to her house and she was saying, oh, I keep seeing these fat ladies. Who's, who's there? Who, what's going on? But luckily, even then, we we, we talked about um, on the training that I'd had. We had talked about sort of visual hallucinations and things, so I was able to sort of talk to. her. And then, and then throughout my career, I mean, people have just it's gone on from there. People saw were well, quite a lot of fat ladies, uh, fat men. Um, ironically, a week later after seeing her, I saw. A, I remember seeing a, a gentleman, and um, again, again, uh, at a central uh, central uh, vision. Uh, lost due to sort of uh, retinal bleeding and I, he was seeing grids so he, he said when I wake up in the morning it's like I'm in prison and I can see like jail cell coming towards me and so within a week of, of, of my professional career starting I, I'd already seen two people who had sort of Charles Bonnet symptoms and then it's gone on gone on from there so I've pretty much seen someone with um, or visual hallucinations every week of my professional career really until 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 Judith Potts um, asked me to start the uh, the group three years ago and during, during all the COVID lockdowns yeah
0: so. wow that's a, that's amazing wow so you mentioned when you were a child you actually uh, were seeing some some things and you didn't know it was Charles Manet back then so so you actually have a visual impairment yourself
1: yeah so so I, I, I also like to say so I, I have a an undiagnosed macular uh macular condition so probably probably it, it could be something like Stargardt's, but it's not officially got that label but it's it's very similar. So so I'm not dissimilar to lots of the old older people that I work with who get these sort of the macular conditions. So I so for the last fifty years I've lived with no central vision. So I, I can see to move around, get around the outside but I don't recognise people, no faces, no detail. And every now every now and then I do see the uh, do have the odd hallucination. Um my last one was we were on a holiday in a cottage, and um, and I was getting banana. I think it's banana trees or something like that growing in the kitchen, which is really. But this is quite rare for me. But every now and then, um, in the car, so um, in in the car, driving down the motor. My wife's driving us down the motorway. I quite often, get like cliffs. It appears like there's large white cliffs each side of the motorway. So that's. But it's fairly infrequent for me. It's it's fairly infrequent, but it does happen. So those are sort of last two examples.
0: Yeah, How did you cope with that? Because you said you were you were a young child and and then uh, eventually you said it's not as frequent now. But how were you dealing with that before you knew what it was called? And did you share? It with well, you?
1: I, I, I don't know. I think it's just like any child. I mean, I, I guess luckily, luckily, I, I, I was sort of, um, I don't know, blessed with fortunate with um, very supportive parents. And I, I guess they, they supported me just, you know, at, at four, they just, you know, put me back to bed, took them. But it's only it's only it's only sort of when I started spending time with um, Judith Potts and Esme's Umbrella that I realised what possibly what, what was going on. It never, it was just a, it was just a, for a brief period in my childhood, you know. And then, and, and, and way before I started going to see op, opt you know optometrists and ophthalmologists and having my sight condition diagnosed, it was, you know, pre, pre, pre any sort of diagnosis or anything. So it's part of my childhood really, and I guess it was just like any other childhood disturbance, and I was just lucky to be supported by my parents, really.
2: Um, Jonathan, I wanted to ask, how old were you? Because, you know, as we all know, looking at Charles-Binet syndrome and and what we've learned about it, that it's indiscriminate when it comes to age, gender, you know, ethnic background, um, how old were you do you remember when you started experiencing cbs
1: well i think i think well well it's only on it's only on backward reflection but i think i think i was possibly under five so in that sort of three probably that three to five bracket where you know where where memories are vague <laughs> yes so 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 certainly um yeah so certainly certainly pre preschool so before you go to you know we go to school at five in the UK, and um, yeah, certainly certainly before that.
2: That's so interesting to know because that's one of the uh, components that's definitely missing with information because everybody thinks this is a condition for the elderly uh, or for the senior population or the baby boomer population, and we know that it's not. And I- I'm so glad to hear, I'm sorry to hear that you had to deal with this, but I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're able to tell people that you experienced this as a child when you were a child how did you how did you you had supportive parents but how did you wrap your head around the hallucinations how did you in, integrate well it, it was just it was just it was just for a period and i'm it was just for a period when i went to bed
1: and i think i used to so what i did um i i guess what my what my dad did he said you know he got two toy soldiers and he put them on the shelf and he said these two figures will protect you from anything that comes in the room and that was enough. That that sort of just so uh, they, they they'd been brought for me. So there were actually two um two two Greek soldiers in Greeks and uniform, uh, only you know only a couple of inches high, but they were just on the ship and they said the, he said these these will look after you, and that was just enough to sort of uh, you know to sort of put my mind to rest. So whatever came then wasn't really a problem because
2: I knew there was someone in the room that would look after me. Interesting, you know, as your mom that that speaks to. We had a support group yesterday. Here in the the United States, we have them on Saturdays from 12 to 2 Eastern Standard Time here in the United States on Saturdays. And we were talking about how that fear factor tends to exacerbate the hallucinations. And it seems that your parents did the correct thing by putting your fear to rest. If you weren't fearful, maybe they weren't coming in. How interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all, and I wouldn't have probably even remembered until I was chatting to, to Judith Potts here, and we were just, just sort of chatting about it, and I just started to sort of reflect back on, on things that had happened to me, and just sort of sort of just
0: occurred to me what was probably going on. By actually uh, you being so young, your father could have just figured, out oh, a child is a child or this is just something that happens. Ch- children have imagination. But if you would have been like 13 or 15, it could have been a different story. But it may have not because you had you had you had supportive parents. But that could have been why it played out a little differently in your situation.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, and I mean, the story continues because of my you know, away from, away from Charles Bonnet that, I mean, we're talking back in the 1970s now. So, so when I had my eye condition, died, it wasn't diagnosed because the technology wasn't really there to see, see the changes in the back of my eye. So although my vision had actually dropped quite significantly, then the technology wasn't there. And the, the changes weren't there, you know, to, to, to see that to see what was going on, so that's why there was no diagnosis. So, you know, had I had a different set of parents, they might have said that I wasn't there, wasn't actually anything wrong with me. But actually, my parents believed me, and um, you know, and I was supported with my education and things. But then, when I got to the age of 20 or thereabouts, it was the changes were really significant and it was clear to see, it was really clear. So, um, yeah, so I, I was supported all the way, so I was just fortunate, I guess.
0: Yeah. So fortunate when we hear from people that have Charles Monet and they say when they have a, a supportive loved one, uh, it really makes a big difference. Uh, they, they're even saying, going as far as to saying, believing that they're seeing what they're seeing, even though it's a hallucination, mm. believe them. Don't ridicule them. Don't make fun of them. Uh, don't say, ah, it's nothing over there. Uh, it just support goes a long way and everybody's different. So the way that you support them is different. It's probably like the five love languages. If, you, if, you're, if your love language is such and you Spend quality time and it may not really feel like you are being in love unless you touch the person or something. So it's probably similar with this and many other things. So, uh, that that was that's so important. I'm glad that you had that supportive, those supportive, supportive parents. I was curious. So, you mentioned that in a professional setting, you mentioned how you found that about Charles Monet, but I don't remember, uh, how long ago that was. Do you roughly remember, you know? Was so, the- yeah,
1: so uh, this was this, 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 so we were talking about it, but I don't. See see, I I guess we didn't we used to call it um in the UK. I, I guess it wasn't we didn't call it Charles Bonnet syndrome until a bit late, probably ten years afterwards. We called it something like non-visual hallucinations or something like that or not, or um so it so it didn't have the sort of the Charles Bonnet um, sort of syndrome label came came later to me, but I mean, it was exactly the same conversation. It was exactly for the, exactly the same reasons. We used to talk about talk about it to people, but we didn't call it Charles Bonnet. I think we used to call it something like um, a, a visual hallucination, so whatever, whatever, without sight hallucinations. So it was a very ma- mouthful of a term. So I think Charles Bonnet is probably a much better term, that sums it up really nicely. But, um, yeah, so... So there was training on training on that, and I remember you just part of, part of the training, a brief lecture as part of my course was all about um, the, the the hallucinations. But um, no one ever imagined, no one ever actually said Charles Bonnet. I don't think he, he came into it until
0: later, and probably pro- probably probably in the 90s we started talking about started talking about Charles Bonnet. Okay, okay, you're light years ahead of us in the UK. Uh, well, in the UK, you're light years ahead of us in the United States because. As far as I know, there's no training about Charles Bonnet. There's a few opt- optometrists and ophthalmologists that seen it in their in their literature and their books and uh, their manuals, but it's not much information. It's just kind of like you know on the side. So for you to be in the field that you're in and to have that training, that that can go a long way. Well, when I, when I when I say training,
1: when I say training, it was you know. So we've got a couple of issues. So the train the training was probably an hour's discussion on, on these hallucinations. Oh or maybe less as, as part of an extended course around blindness and partial sight so so it wasn't a great deal but it's just ironic that you know that short that short lecture sort of led me you know to, to think to meet and talk to and to be and support so many people over the years um and i mean we, we don't have, I don't think, uh, maybe maybe Judith at Esme's Umbrella has it, just started a training program. I don't think there's any formal sort of in-depth training to, to for anyone in, in the UK. And the other thing that comes up time and time again, and, and you may have heard it when you've come dropped into the group, is this issue of diagnosis. So none of I don't think anyone who comes to my group, or one person maybe, has had a formal diagnosis of Charles Bonnet. nearly everyone everyone in the uk is is self-diagnosed based on the sort of information that they've had so diagnosis is is a real issue
0: wow wow can you talk a little bit about the the formation of the group and how you support uh, people with charles mne on your bi-weekly support group
1: yeah, so so what we so what we found, and I, and I guess um, it was during it was during the COVID times, which we we all remember so well, and and what Judith Potts, Esme's umbrella found was that um, that people's because of anxiety, there seemed to be a link between anxiety and isolation and and increased um, hallucinations. So so what she asked people to do across the UK. She asked. She asked for people to set up local groups and local organisations. Um, so we just set up a. I've, I've been doing lots of um, Zoom groups about all sorts of things, and so she just asked us asked us to set up a support group, and 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 that was how it all started. Really, just sent. We just contacted people, explained that we were starting a group all about Charles, Bo, Charles Bonnet syndrome. I mean, would they come along? And people just be coming back every every two weeks and just chatting and sharing, and we just found that that chatting to people who who understand have a greater understanding and just and um, understanding of what people are going through and what they're experiencing in their daily life has been quite supportive so it's that it's that idea of lived experience and because like you said i think earlier it's having someone to believe in you is so important and if someone else is experiencing it they, they definitely believe in you so i think if someone believes you and understands it so that's where it came and then we just we just look at you know, you just, just chat about all sorts of things. But also we just return return to uh, return to Charles Bonnet. And for some people, coming to the group once or twice is enough. And other people who have been coming pretty much every other week for the last three years. So we, it depends on what people need and want from the group.
2: Jonathan, may I ask a question? And you may or may not have the answer for this. Uh, we're facing the same challenges here in the United States, uh, lack of diagnosis, uh, lack of belief in the medical system to give proper diagnosis, uh, which is very unfortunate. We actually do have several people who are properly diagnosed um, in the in the UK. When someone presents with Charles Bonnet syndrome symptoms, are they? Is there a treatment available? What type of treatments are you all seeing in the UK that work for people with Charles Binet syndrome? We're finding cognitive behavioral therapy and hypnotherapy are great avenues of treatment. What are you What are you finding in the UK? Well, I I, I mean, I,
1: I, yeah, I I can only I can only speak to my experience and the people that talk to me. Okay so my general my generally general experience is that i don't none of the people that have come to my group and I, and I just always stand to be corrected um, I don't think anyone has been offered any of those treatments particularly for their charles bonnet um, I just, i'm just trying to think of no I, I don't think anyone, anyone has been offered any of those treatments um, yeah. I may I may be wrong, but I don't I don't think there's and I don't think there's any I know there's research onto form, formalized treatments and things. So I I haven't heard anyone who's who's been received. I've heard of people having some drug treatments, so, and I and I'm not a doctor, so I would so I would I wouldn't want to go there with any answers. So I have heard people have been treated with drugs, and I don't know if that's always been terribly successful from what. But this is I can only give you anecdotal information from what people tell me um because i'm in no way a clinician so it's, an, it's an, all, all anecdotal from me really
2: we same we face the same challenges here jonathan and uh, shaman would i think would agree with me here in the u.s uh, i'm not sure about the uk but in the U- in the united states mostly psychotrophic medications are given to these individuals and they increase their fall risk increase the hallucinations sometimes lack of sleep uh it's um uh, it's a real challenge and, and i'm you know, God bless Judith Potts for bringing this to light, uh, no relation, by the way, uh, and we are not medical doctors or medical professionals either, but what we're seeing is that every time somebody feels that a new medication has been prescribed to them and it helps them for a little while, and then it either fails at some point or they get worse in, uh, with their mental health, anxiety disorder sets in. Um, PTSD sets in because sometimes, I'm not sure what your group is experiencing, but our group, we have everything from people who experience pleasant types of hallucinations all the way to nightmarish, um, inability to even cope sometimes with normal everyday activity li- you know, daily activity living because they can't put those hallucinations in, into perspective. And, and that's understandable. To, to them it's real. You know, um, as caretakers, it's also a challenge. Do you do you also have a caretaker aspect to your support groups? Um, we 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 have a
1: little. I've been encouraging um, sort of uh, yeah, as you say, caretakers to come along to the group where where, where appropriate. And and I guess guess for me, and, and, and I, I don't know, it's maybe maybe a pun, but it's a bit of an eye opener because that this issue that I'm facing at the moment is this issue of reality and people's individual reality. Because and, and how you challenge it and I and I haven't come up with a satisfactory answer because if something is so real to a person then it's real and it's it's in, it's how 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 you deal with that, I think as you say as a caretaker I, I because I, I I was actually I, I I don't very often go and see people face to face, but I, I did go and visit someone in their home and we were just chatting and the, and this the gentleman I was visiting could see a dog. And he was actually getting very quite angry with his wife because she couldn't see the dog and he couldn't understand why she couldn't see the dog but obviously there's no dog there and 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 actually that was quite a and it's how and she was she's you know she had a real it was a real issue there was no easy way to explain to the, to the this gentleman that there's no dog there you know and and, and, and how, how are you doing it and it's causing a lot of a lot of stress really in their relationship, but there was no no easy answer that I could see anyway, really. And and just telling him again and again did, I, it was almost, well, it felt felt cruel really, and a bit unnecessary to me. But I, I don't know. I don't know whether there's a better way of doing it. So th- this is sort of questions that come up really, and finding the best way forward is, is, is really
0: tricky. And what I'm finding is that CBS is different for different people. Some people deal with it with uh, one way and some people deal with it another way. Uh, For some people, they have a certain type of hallucination and for other people, they have different types. And it's kind of tricky because there's no one size fits all. And and that is definitely challenging. And and it's going back to the the treatments and any kind of solutions. I've spoken to ophthalmologists and I've spoken to other professionals and, and done some research myself. And I'm not a medical professional, but they say there really are no definitive treatments. Uh, forward you know some things work for some people and they may work for a certain period of time and then they won't but that that can be discouraging it definitely can be discouraging uh but so a lot of people say like uh dr gary Cusick, maybe talk therapy is gonna have to be it and realize you're not alone maybe someone can listen to something like this uh this podcast and realize you know take one thing from it or get some hope from it so it's uh yeah yeah it's, it's definitely a challenge
2: you know I, I on that note i i i'm i'm hearing exa- the same thing everywhere you know the 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 lack of treatment you know the the caretaker perspective and i that's why i am hoping and praying that someone from in the medical community is listening to these podcasts and understanding that there is a need for treatment here and i one of the things that i feel would be beneficial for the, tr- the person with Charles Bonnet syndrome and for the caretaker is a proper diagnosis. And then the doctor explaining to the patient and to the loved one, caretaker, family members, whomever's involved in their life, this is not an easy thing to cope with. Here are some coping mechanisms here. Here are some methods of caretaking that we feel would work. First of all, believe the person they're seeing what they're seeing, and then mm try to help them cope with the with the coping mechanisms that Dr. Fitch has set forward. And Mm. and so diligently given, you know, there's a laundry list of coping mechanisms. They don't work for everyone. And some work for some, some don't work, you know, don't work for others. But I really believe that the medical community would start stepping up and taking this seriously and explaining it to the patient, explaining it to the caretakers. And Mm. that's going to be the first step. It's just the awareness. You know, I I was explaining this to my oncology massage therapist the other day, and she looked at me and she said, you know what? People need to wake up. This is ridiculous. This has been around since 1760. That's a long time for a medical condition, physiological condition now recognized by the World Health Organization to not be recognized. We do Hmm. need, they do need to wake up.
1: Yeah. So so one, one of the things that we often talk about in, in the group um, is when you go along to your optometrist appointment, um, you know, ophthalmology appointment, when you're first diagnosed with something like Mac, you know, a macular condition, for example, mm-hmm. you, you're asked lots of questions about your eyes and you're examined. But nowhere in, in that process are you asked whether you. Are seeing any strange or interesting things? That's not a question. It may be, it may be over there in the states, but certainly it's not routinely asked by any doctors or anyone. You know, your eyes are examined and your your eye condition is explained. But no, as part of that assessment process, there's no. Well, you know, are you seeing anything? You know, that you you know isn't real or, or 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 whatever. That's never asked. So,
0: and we were actually hoping that that can start being asked because. If this affects at least 30 to 40% of people that have a visual impairment or are blind, then it will be good if uh, if they can do that. And I've actually printed some of the information out that was on Esme's Umbrella's website and took it to the doctor with my loved one because I can explain things pretty well, but the literature explained it even better. And it was very concise and right to the point. And they said, wow, this is interesting. I hadn't heard of this. Thanks for letting me know about this. And who knows what they did with that information. So I, I like the fact that uh, that Esme's Umbrella and Judith Potts uh, ha, has this information out there. One thing that's coming to my mind is if you had an opportunity to, what would you want people to know about Charles Monet? whether it's a doctor, whether it's someone struggling with it? Uh, I know that could be two different answers, but if you had an opportunity to talk, what would you want to say?
1: So so, for, so, so for me, I, I would want to see, you know, I, so, so I would want people to know that it's a, uh could be an issue right at the beginning of their diagnosis so so when they first start experiencing visual problems not being able to you know any 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 whatever it is glaucoma diabetes macular conditions whatever whatever the cause of their sight loss is, it would be great um it would be great if they knew that you know there is a likelihood that they could possibly experience some degree of ha- silent hallucinations i think it would be just just for people to know that i know that that is a normal a, a normal part of losing your vision or, or losing elements of vision because we you know we have people whose vision is actually by, by the standards of people is actually fairly good you know so that you know people who borderline being able to drive and, and then and they're starting to experience some of these sort of um, elements of sort of silent hallucination so so I, I'd like people to know really early on that this is this 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 is normal and actually they're not for want of a better expression you know they're not going mad in any way that you know they're not suffering from some sort of um you know men- mental health condition that they have to keep secret and they have to sort of um not tell anyone about and not take that burden onto themselves because i think you know when you can't talk to someone about what's going on that, that that's not a good place to be so if they know it's a normal part of sight loss or part of the sight loss you know, it's probably a cliched a hackneyed expression but you know part of the part of the sight loss journey if they think it's a normal part then then that's got to be a good thing really right at that right at that early stage so i guess whether the doctor or whoever or just the patient knows that it's 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 a normal element then i think that's got to be a good a good thing to do
2: and i think that that's what you said is so spot on jonathan when someone is experiencing sight loss on any level there should be an assessment tool accompanying that appointment and we're one of the things that dr cusick is so um diligently working on and hoping to develop very soon is an assessment tool. So we have an assessment tool for schizophrenia. We have an assessment tool for dementia, which is what people with Charles Bonnet syndrome are often misdiagnosed with are those two types of conditions. Very sad because then the medications get thrown at them. The label alone is enough to destroy somebody's mental health. The anxiety sets in the, you know, the disbelief that they've got this type of condition. And as a disclaimer, and I'm not a medical professional, I'll keep saying that over and over again, and I'm not a doctor, but having Charles Bonnet syndrome does not mean you're not going to develop dementia. It doesn't mean that, you know, you aren't subject to schizophrenia if you have a genetic condition, but it is a separate type of hallucination. And that's what we need is that assessment tool also to accompany those ophthalmology appointments where people are losing their vision because you're right. They think they're losing their minds and they're not mad. And they're quickly, quickly, um, they disengage. They, They isolate themselves because they're so fearful. We have a support group member that did not tell her husband, her primary caregiver for five years. And I would imagine my mom was about five years, maybe even longer before she admitted what she was seeing. That's so sad because that, that alone is, I think, you know, again, I'm not a doctor. I would imagine would exacerbate the hallucinations. What, what do you think? Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said. I, I, it's just that it's just that living with it and doing it all on your own is, is yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's just, if you can break that cycle, that's gotta be, that's gotta be the first step really to uh,
0: improve improving lives of people with Charles Bonnet. So, there's somebody in the uk that needs some help with charles bonnet what what would you recommend uh you know what kind of services are available okay so
1: i i guess i guess we're fairly fortunate because obviously we've got judith and esmes umbrella but i think what what we've also got a good awareness amongst the sort of all the because there's more than 200 sight loss charities in the uk and 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 I, i guess nearly every sight loss charity and um uh I don't know what the we we, we have rehabilitation specialists in the in the UK, what sensory workers, what depending on and I think nearly all of those thanks in, in part to to the work of Judith and others. And you know, they there everyone has that awareness, I, I I guess so people can talk to people um you, you know in the Sight Loss charity sector about Charles Bonnet. Um they can I think the pathway's fairly clear into sort of Judith and and others like her for that ongoing talking support um, if they need medical support um, if for people with because like you say everyone is different so you've got people with you know once they once they know what's going on they can develop and uh, they can develop coping strategies or the people around them can support them and but then we do have individuals whose hallucinations are so terrible so frightening that they need something more, the coping strategies aren't there. And and it's for those individuals that I'm not sure I'm not sure that we have the medical pathways available in the UK at this moment in time. And I don't I don't want to be disingenuous, but I just don't think there's those that for those individuals, you know, where where, where the talking and local support stops, um yeah. So and, and I have come across I have come across those individuals. Um yeah, and I'm not quite sure where they go or who, who can support them.
2: And you know, on that note, Jonathan, there are so many individuals who, as you, the gravity of this is, is, is just so large. It, it's, it's, and it's heavy because now there's recognition. Imagine how many people have been in psychiatric units, mental hospitals, thrown into assisted living facilities simply because family members didn't know how to cope or, or guide them. They didn't know what they were dealing with either. So, they're thinking that they, you know, being put into a facility was probably the answer. How about our prison systems? How many people were hallucinating when they committed crimes? So there are so many, the dynamics and the phenomenon surrounding all of this is just, it's it's overwhelming at times. And I know taking it one day at a time and taking a deep breath and trying to get a hold of it is the way to do it. But there, this is, You know, we're talking about the UK, there's a foundation in Australia, we're talking about starting this in the US, but this is a global, this is a global condition. I can't even begin to imagine the people that are in war-torn countries right now that are losing their vision suddenly and go into Charles Binet syndrome, and there's no help for them. Because how about all the soldiers that have gone to war and have been injured in, you know, uh, IEDs or, you know, come, or vision loss from some other type of uh, injury while fighting for their countries. And they come home and there's no treatment for them. They're just, and they're afraid to say something because you're, if you're a soldier in the United States, the fear factor of admitting that you're hallucinating can be detrimental to your career. And that's so sad because this, that should not be, but we're, and, and we're, we're failing people with Charles Bonnet. every, every medical system in the world is failing people with Charles Bonnet right now. We're not helping them, we're not creating a pathway to treat them. And pharmaceutical companies aren't looking at this, but I think that we've got doctors that are working very, very diligently, Dr. Fitch, Dr. Cusick, Dr. Scorin, working so hard to find a solution, but it's just not known, it's not being taught. And if it is, you know, I hear people say, yeah, I heard about it when I was in um, school for occupational therapy. Yeah, they mentioned it uh, for about 10 minutes and then nothing. So it's not paid attention to. So that's, that's, that's what our aim here in the United States is, And I know Judith's, uh, goal is to change that. And again, God bless her. What a, what a, what a path blazer trailblazer she has been for Charles Bonnet. very much. So.
0: And, and just the word hallucination has such a negative connotation to it where people are scared to even, Talk about it, and uh, that can, that can be tied back to, to mental health. Even though this is not a mental condition, this is a medical condition, but that that's uh, that's very unfortunate. So I guess across the board, we have to just get people more comfortable about talking about hallucinations. When I first found out about Charles Bonnet, I typed in hallucination into Google and I saw everything that Parkinson's, dementia, and all the schizophrenia and all of the other things, but Charles Bonnet was listed there. So I said, what is Charles Bonnet?" And then when I did the research and I watched some YouTube videos about it, I said, wow, my loved one has all of these symptoms and meets all the criteria. And then when I eventually told them about it, they said, no, I don't, I don't want to see any videos about it. I don't want to look at anything about it. But then eventually they came around and they they looked at it and they said, wow, I have that. Wow, I'm experiencing that. And uh, I'm glad that I was able to not be so negative about the fact that they were having hallucinations and be open to seeing what they could be from and glad that I, that I found out about it. And I'm pretty sure other people will because of this podcast because of the work that jonathan's doing that you're doing ever that Judith Potts are doing so yeah we got to get more open
2: the work that you're doing as well shimon that the idea to do this podcast and get the word out and my mother was quite the same she had already been given unfortunately uh erroneously had been given a dementia diagnosis by an unqualified doctor who should not have been giving a dementia diagnosis, didn't even do an assessment on her at all. Just, she was hallucinating in her office, boom, you have dementia. That almost destroyed her. And it made her even more determined to be able to repeat her entire activities for the entire day. At the end of her day, I did this, I did this, I did this. People with dementia cannot do that. And It's very sad. And same thing, Shimon. My Aunt Rosemary Googled and Googled and Googled and Googled. And at that time, we couldn't, this was around 2016, 17, we couldn't find a, a lot of information. And when we finally did, all the information was from the UK. In the United States, everybody up to this point has had to go to Judith Potts to get sent to Gary Cusick or over to Australia to get sent to Gary Cusick here in the United States. That's a that's a that's a long way to have to go to get help for your loved one. And that's what's changing. I, I know it's slowly changing. It's going to change. And, and Jonathan, I just want to say thank you for all your work and what your what the Thomas um, Pockington Trust is doing to help because um, you, you all have have set the standard for what we need to be doing everywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and you do a great job uh, leading that group. And I know you work with others, but uh, it is definitely not easy. And you're gentle, uh, but you you're, you're just you just do all the different things that you need to do uh, to be able to meet the needs of the individuals. And that's not easy because everybody has different severity uh, of Charles Renee. So I uh, you know, appreciate what, what you're doing. Uh, is it is it OK if we told some people about your your group?
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not unusual for people to drop in, as you know, to drop in from the States and Canada and, yeah, people drop in from all over the place from time to time to join the group and, and meet people. Yeah,
0: so everyone's welcome. Okay, we'll definitely uh, let people know. And I believe it's on Thursdays at around uh, 1 p.m. Uh, uh, New York time and about 6 p.m. Uh, London time? Yeah, that's right, yeah okay yeah. we'll definitely share, share the information about that yeah so is there anything you would like to uh leave uh the guests with and uh, i mean you know leave the people with you know, any parting words you're not alone and you know
1: talk. try and find someone else uh, someone else who's experiencing what you're you're experiencing and if you, and if you do that if you, you know what the, you know, it's an old a proverb a proverb isn't it you know uh, a problem shared is a problem halved or something along those lines. I think, you know, I think just by sharing and, or just by listening to someone else, I think is, is, is a really good start.
0: We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yes, did you have anything, uh, uh, any last words, Eva?
2: I just want to thank you, Jonathan, and, and thank you uh, for the information on your support groups. Uh, we can always, everybody can use as much support as possible. And sometimes once a week isn't enough. So I'll be sure that when our website has been um, launched that your information will be on there uh, as well as Esme's umbrella so that people know that there are people out there who are experiencing this. It's not just a, a local problem. It's a global problem and or condition, not a problem. It's a condition that if we start paying attention to it and we start treating it and we start respecting it, then we'll start to be able to find some answers. Thank you for hanging in there and for helping people with this, that is so important. Well, your work is just so important. If nobody's told you that, we're here to tell you that we we are very fortunate that we have you, we have Judith. You, you all have set the standard here in the United States. Thank you for coming on, Jonathan.
1: That's a pleasure, anytime.